Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the Daytona 500 wreck. Also, filmmaker and producer John Ross will be with us for the entire hour. You are listening to The Common Room. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, and I think maybe you do. I think you do. You th- <laughs> I do. I think you do. <laughs> How many people right now are shaking their heads? No. I got here by accident, and I'm trying to escape. <laughs> Get me away. Get me away. Well, if you are someone that would like to find out more, you can go to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, plus Wherever it is you get your podcast, a little subscribe, rate, review will help us out a whole lot. And uh, if you're feeling extra generous during this uh, this season of cold and snow, mm. hit that little share button. Share with a friend. <laughs> because sharing is caring and caring makes the heart grow fonder or something. I don't know. I didn't know where you were going with that yeah, one. I, 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 I didn't know where I was going. Yeah. Look like you're about to take the offering. It sounded See, like <laughs> If I could get the underscore, yeah. if I could, if I could get the piano player up here. Hey, if my, you're feeling extra generous today, we're going to send those plates again. <laughs> I've never said those words before in a church service, by I the joke. way. Neither have I. I always joke when doing those sermons. It's always like the pastor joke of like, hey, you know, we're talking about money today, but we're going to. Uh, we're going to take the offering now, and then we're going to send it around later as well. <laughs> oh, God. It's a funny joke. I've you heard pastors, though. I saw a video of a guy where they did the uh, the offering at the beginning of the service. And then he preached, and they sang, and they had already counted it, and it wasn't enough. No. So we came back up and said, uh, we didn't get enough. We're going to pass it again. <laughs> so they did. They passed it again. Gutsy. And he made some comment, like, we're going to keep passing till we get what we need for this week. I told her one of our ushers once. I said, hey, if they if it ever comes back empty, just send it right back and be like, hey, just stare the people down. <laughs> send it right back. Oh, gosh. I do feel like this is not at all what we're talking about. Do you ever feel like somebody might feel guilt if they give online and they I, have to like let the bag pass, and the, and they want to like make sure everyone around them knows. Like I, I give online. I do I give, give online. I, like they should have a button, easy tithe, or a sticker, or something like that. Yeah, just a, <laughs> a sticker. I gave online just to identify that. Yeah, like it's the, like the I voted sticker, or I gave blood. Right. Yes. Same same kind of situation. That would be really funny. People putting stickers on. That's good. All right. So uh, before we talk about this really frightening crash yeah, of the Daytona 500, uh, you had some Chicago specific news. I just heard on the radio on the way in, and I know it happened earlier today, but. Former Governor Rod Blagojevich got his uh, 14-year prison sentence commuted. He's done eight years, and uh, President Trump commuted that sentence. So uh, apparently the former governor is getting out. See, I just thought it was that he was being sentenced to be a commuter. Like, <laughs> it's you even now, worse than prison. Right. You now have to take the train in and out every single day. I'm very interested to see a picture of him when he comes out because maybe this isn't true, but they had said at one point there was a rumor. Remember how he was well-known for his uh, black hair? Uh, and so <laughs> yes, like I his big hair. Yep. And uh, there was a rumor that in prison it went completely white gray. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know if that's true or not. I'm sure we're about to find out. But, I wonder if there's they, similarities. Weren't we talking yesterday about uh, presidents during their term tend to age yes. much faster? I, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in prison, right? Yeah. Who knows? Well, plus I don't think they have like the product he was using, like sitting in prison. So. Oh, so it wasn't naturally black, is what I, you're saying? Apparently so. Oh my goodness! Yep. What a what a scandalous show this is. Just <laughs> this became like a politician's gossip show. I know. All right, so uh, plenty of you are probably aware of this Randy Newman. Randy Newman. Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman. I'm looking right at his name. <laughs> I'm literally staring at it. 
So Ryan Newman, uh, who is in serious condition after a Daytona 500 wreck, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the footage or oh, not. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was crazy. Te- and I've been watching racing since I was a kid. Are you a race fan? Um, well, that's not what I said. You've been watching racing. <laughs> okay. I got I, the difference. It was, uh, my dad is. My dad's a... Uh, He's a uh, he's like an IndyCar guy, but gotcha. um, so I don't That's know. That's even more the, terrifying than IndyCar. It is, yeah. Those take off like jets. It's terrifying. Yeah, but, but this uh, crash was scary because it was last lap as it was like literally the race was ending and it was super exciting. And I don't know. I don't know how guys walk. Uh, not that he walked out of this one, but I don't know how guys get out. Like it says he's in serious condition, but non-life-threatening injuries. And you watch that. And you're like, how are there, not, not, how are there right. non-life-threatening injuries in there? Uh, everyone's kind of waiting with bated breath, though, to see what exactly the issue is because uh, it looked really bad. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I wanted to play a short clip from yeah. the act, just just to kind of frame a little bit of what it was like uh, watching this live. Take a listen. Ryan Newman off turn four for the final time. Blaney to the outside, oh! to the inside. Here comes Hamlin up the outside. Wow! Crash into the wall, into the air. Goes oh. Newman. Upside down. In a shower of sparks on his roof, Ryan Newman comes across the line, fourth. Newman got turned, went up in the air as he came down, was hit by another car, and launched skyward, coming down on his roof. The AMR safety team is there quickly to attend to Ryan Newman. And, I, and I'm not even entirely sure what to do with that. It was yep. all over... The internet when it happened, and uh, I don't. I didn't even ask you. Are you a race car fan? Is this a? Part I'm of not, your... but as a general sports fan, I keep up with it. I don't. I'll never sit down and watch a race. I never. Have, that's never been my thing. But um, I certainly saw the clip over and over again yesterday, and it just reminds you. It, you know, it's hard not to go back and think about Dale Earnhardt Sr. at Daytona. Right. Uh, what was that? Maybe an 01 where he died on the last lap into the wall. Gosh, was it that long ago? I think it was a one. And uh, but you know what? It, it just reminds you of like. It's a it's a dangerous dangerous sport and and on the one hand people like myself who aren't very uh, uh I don't like to embrace risk if you will right right that you watch them and you're like what would be the drive to get in a car that goes 200 miles an hour and pun intended <laughs> good point and uh, but but I suppose that's that's uh, what these guys love to do and you're just reminded in moments like that of just how. I mean, it's tenuous. Like, it's just you get one little bump, and they're all together, and a, a flipping it goes, and it's just crazy. It's absolute craziness. So so you're saying that's never – that's not really where I was going to go with this. For me, a lot of times – I'm curious, though. Like, could you ever see yourself doing something like that, even just for fun? Like, if your family bought you – like, we bought my dad some uh, a pass where he could drive eight laps or something. Am I driving? Yeah. Can I crash? Yes. And, like, get hurt? Mm, prob- probably not. You probably have to sign a waiver. It's probably that level of. I probably I'm going to cut it down the middle here. I'm guessing I'd be the guy who would do it and have fun, but never go as fast as it could possibly go. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Probably who I am. I am not so, a risk guy. Here's the psychological question I want to ask that neither of us are qualified to answer. Yep. Um, I was thinking about this too after watching uh, the documentary Free Solo, where the guy yeah, you know, he, he, he free solos uh, El Capitan, which if you've never seen, it's phenomenal. But there's a really eerie scene where he's talking about the inevitable threat of death all the time. He goes, "Oh yeah, that's why we. I mean, any of us who climb, we know that that's a possibility. It's crazy. But then you like interview like their spouses or their girlfriends or boyfriends, and they're like, they're really wrecked by it because they're not wired in the same way. Yep. But he had this this very odd, and he's like looking right at the camera, and he goes, "Oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's always a possibility. Do you think drivers have the same level of like it's still 
super frightening, and watching it is uh, so unnerving. Yeah. But is there a part of it going into it like, okay, this this being in a catastrophic accident is part it's of the risk of doing this? Got to be because now NASCAR, especially since the tragedy with Dale Earnhardt, as we said in one. They have made such uh, advances in safety. Like, you look at those guys. They're so strapped in, they can't even move, right? Right, right. But I would still think, even with all the safety advances, uh, you're still living under the specter that, yeah, with one little thing that's not even my fault, get clipped by another car or something, right, exactly. I go hurtling into that wall, and it's completely out of my control. I, I would think that, uh, yeah, that's got to be in the back of your mind. And these guys are probably adrenaline junkies for the most part, and- uh, like you said, with that free solo documentary, they they not only embrace it, but that kind of drives them a little bit, like mm. kind of pushing it a little bit more to the edge. Interesting, and that's just completely a personality trait. That I do not have that personality. Like you can't at even all. put yourself in those shoes. You're like I could see how that would be fun. You're like, no, no that no, does like, not. I, yeah, I would never be the one who wants to go skydiving. My wife and I always joke about that, and uh, I don't want to drive a motorcycle. Like I'm just not an adrenaline junkie. In fact, I'm probably a bit too cautious. Yeah, I could I could use a little more of that in my <laughs> life. Like I've. I've gone skydiving. Have you really? Uh, oh, yeah. And I told you that story. I, maybe That's nope. a segment for another day. Yep. I just, honestly, a couple of weeks ago, somebody approached me and said, uh, I forgot what I said in the message, but he's like, hey, do you want to learn to ride a motorcycle? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Would let you me, be one of those guys who talk takes, to my wife first. Yeah, there you go. Would you be one of those guys who takes the motorcycle like really fast? Like, is that the goal yeah, of the that's motorcycle? kind of a point of a motorcycle. You yeah. Know. But I'm not totally to the degree where those guys that are like walking without a harness on tops of buildings and stuff. I'm not. <laughs> that's good to know. Not to that level. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, good yeah, to know. Please, no, please. I'm not the one who's drawn to adrenaline yeah, and like got to do this. But well, hey. e- either way, we uh, we hope it goes without saying that we are praying for Ryan and his family mm-hmm. and all those affected, and we would encourage you uh, to do the same, praying for a full and total recovery. Absolutely, and uh, that they feel just loved and supported right now. Well, coming up next, my friend John Ross, who's not only a filmmaker and a producer, but also the founder of an organization called Somebody's Nobody, is going to be with us for the rest of the hour. You are not going to want to miss that interview. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, as you know, wherever it is you get podcasts, if uh, you wouldn't mind, a little like, subscribe, review, that does all somehow help us out. And maybe... Maybe if you're feeling extra generous, just hit that share button. We're still kind of a new show, and all of those shares, even if you, what if you hated the show? Send it to a friend and say, <laughs> Tell bad check it was. out these jokers. <laughs> Any news is good news, I think. Maybe that's probably not a good tactic. Anyway, Brian and I say it all the time, but we love doing the show. We love the stuff we get to talk about, but we really love when uh, friends are in the studio, mm-hmm. in the flesh, and. Uh, Mr. John Ross is no exception. John, welcome to the show, good sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my, appreciate my pleasure, man. I'm uh, I'm interested. I actually don't know how you're going to do this because mm-hmm. I know a bit of your story. Yeah. But I'd love for all of our listeners, would you just give a bit of your bio? Like, how would yeah. you introduce yourself to someone listening who doesn't know who you are? Uh, well, I will start with at guard. <laughs> 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 yep, that, that's the best that so far. <laughs> I'm kind of got the hangover all-star weekend, so I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, my name is John Ross, and I'm a movie producer, director. Um, um, I've been doing it for about 21 years now. Wow. And, um, so it's been just a, a grace that, um, uh, it's just a great thing that God has given me the opportunity to be able to do that. That's um, awesome. But um started out just 
like a regular kid at five mm-hmm. years old. I, I had a dream, mm-hmm. and that dream was just to be a, a film producer. Mm-hmm. And so I would uh-huh. watch movies like Star Wars, The Goonies, and The Lost Boys. It's <laughs> yeah. my favorite films. But I would see the kids in the movie, and I was like, wow, I, I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I didn't have many opportunities for myself as a, as a young man, mm-hmm. um, I had to learn how to do a lot of things myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I was 16 years old, um, I would start to use my grandmother's video camera that she had that she would never use. She was just sitting in the closet by herself, <laughs> right? And I would just start recording and filming things in the neighborhood with all the neighborhood kids. Then I would invite them over to my house. I would cook for them, and we would watch what we just filmed. And that was like the kind of the origin story of who wow. I was, right? And so I decided to um, go to school at Columbia College and get my degree in film and video with a minor in marketing advertisement. Wow. And then from there, I started setting goals for myself. And so one of the first goals I set for myself was that at the age of 20, I wanted to be my first Hollywood film. And mm. um, and so pretty much what I did was uh, on my way home. I, I don't tell the story all the time, but I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, on my way home from school one day, I was uh, I had an argument with my girlfriend on the payphone. So I'm telling my age right now. On the payphone. <laughs> on the payphone. Yeah. And so um, usually at that time when I was in school, um, to kind of to de-stress myself, I would go to the theater building. Mm. And, and they were holding auditions for the movie Ali with Will Smith and Jamie Foxx oh, yeah. and Jada Pickett. And uh, now I, I was not prepared. I didn't have a headshot resume or anything like that. So I went up there and performed the argument I had with my girlfriend. And they <laughs> laughed at me and they said, well, why did you show up here, you know, unprepared? And I said, well, you know what? I had a goal that before the age of 20, I wanted to be my first Hollywood film. Wow. And uh, I'm willing to embarrass myself in order to have the opportunity. And I got the part um, a week and a half later. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's just the origin story of my, so of my life. But um, it's just, uh, I'm just a go-getter. Um, and, and I like to use my gifts and my talents and my stories to just kind of share my faith and how God has, has brought That's me awesome. in possible situations. So I love that. So man. you have this yeah. dream as a kid to be a producer and to make movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, has there ever been a point in the journey where you're like, okay, that was a kid dream. I'm not going to be able to do this. Or is it like, no, you know, this is what I'm going to do. How has that been? Because. From all I've heard, making movies and stuff, that's an up and down business yes. where there's probably been a lot of dark moments for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the cool thing about it is that it was something that I've always known I wanted to do. Yeah. So, so there were moments where, like in my family, all of my family members are educators. You know, mm-hmm. right? And so um, they always expected everybody to go to college and get a degree, you mm-hmm. know, in education. Well, I was just completely the opposite. And so I wanted to get a film degree. Mm. And so there was always, uh, I felt like the the dark horse of the family because mm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just knew that I was made to do this. And uh, and it's not till I've gotten older that I realized that that's like, that's something that's rare, you know, mm. to know that since you're five years old, that's what you wanted to do. Now, I will say this is that I didn't, I didn't know then that. Um, the Lord would take me all over the world, sharing my story yeah. and mentoring and, mm. you know, trying to change the world that way. But being a filmmaker is something I always knew I wanted yeah. to do. That's wild. Yeah. So uh, we'll get a little opportunity later in the show to dive into it more deeply. But what's some mm-hmm. of the stuff that you're working on and passionate about right now? Yeah. So um, uh, right now I just started a non-for-profit called Somebody's Nobody. Um, and so what we do is we identify with people who feel like they have no identity in the arts, but mainly mm. the film industry. Mm. And we partner with the mentor and then put them to work right away. Hopes that we start change the world one dream at a time. I love so, that. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And then in that, uh, we have projects for um, a lot of the mentees to come and work on. And so like for the All-Star Weekend, we're filming um, a documentary called Sneaker-esque. Um, and, you know, it's pretty, really cool. But it's talking <laughs> about the love of the gym shoe mm. in the city of Chicago. And how it influenced the whole world. But the cool thing about the um, the documentary is that 
We're going to take um, um, kids from low-income communities hmm. um, that want to make gym shoes and then par- partner up with people who have already done it already before. Oh, no way. Um, and so hopefully by the end of the documentary, these kids will come out of high school with a job, living their dreams. And so um, the documentaries and the projects that we do kind of embodies what we are as a non-for-profit, which is somebody's no I love that, man. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah. uh, a couple years ago, you did a documentary I'm reading here called Mound Bayou. Yes. And uh, you were nominated for an Emmy for that. And yes. I, doing you having this passion since you were five to be nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> what, what, that's got to be unbelievable. Believable. Yeah, you know, probably uh, embarrassing you a little bit here, but you know, no, 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 you're fine. Like, um, I, I'm gonna tell you this. Um, when I was, I think I was about ten years old. Um, I had a dream that I was uh, receiving an award, and I was on mm. TV doing it. And I would tell you like this: exactly the way that I dreamed it for years, it played out exactly That's the same amazing. way. Kidding. Which is kind of eerie when it, when it happened. <clears throat> yeah, um, it played out exactly the same way. So it was obviously it was a very crowning moment of my life. Yeah, right. Um, to be able to be surrounded by all of the peers and the people that you grew up admiring, um, and you're receiving an award. But right, right. You know, it was something that it was short lived. I would tell you that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, I quickly realized that you cannot find joy in possessions and awards. Right. Um, because right after that, I, I mean, right after I did my interview on the red carpet, somebody asked me, OK, what's next? <laughs> well, I just got the chance to experience this. <laughs> just got to revel in this for a second. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah. Yeah. So that joy quickly faded after that. So. That's interesting. Yeah. What was the documentary about? Um, so Mount Bayou was a documentary about a small town in Mississippi called mm-hmm. Mount Bayou. OK. That was found by two former slaves. And it was the first African-American governed town in America. Wow. But it's largely unknown today. And so just to tell the story about two Two former slaves that had faith in God starting something that was in an impossible situation was just a, a appealing story to me. Yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious about this documentary you're doing now. Like you, saw, you said it's called Sneaker-esque. Yes. And uh, where where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, just what's the genesis of that? Because it sounds fascinating when you describe it, but yeah. I'm sure there's been a lot of legwork to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So my cousin, um, his name is Kyle Frazier. Um, he used to be one of the designers at Adidas. Oh, wow. And so he called me up maybe early last year and he says, John, you know, I have this idea uh, about a documentary that we should do. And so, uh, like a lot of times, my family, uh, people always come to me with movie ideas because of what I do. <laughs> right. Um, so it was kind of like, uh, okay, all right, let's, let's hear more about him. Right. And he started telling me about it. And so, like always, what I try to do is um, before I pick a project and kind of go forward with it, I try to see if there's any traction there. Right. And so, with a lot of the people that he had given me that he knew, uh, we made phone calls out to them. And mm. then I quickly realized how excited people were about this culture. Of, of gym shoes here no, um, in the city of Chicago. And then just one thing um, led to another and it just kind of picked up this, this traction and some, some of the top people in the sneaker industry just started to call us up and say, Hey, we want to be a part of this. And that's how it kind of came together. Yeah, oh, that's fascinating. Well, yeah. that third sultry voice you're listening to right now is none other than filmmaker, John Ross. <laughs> I like when you say the third, it makes it seem like there's one and two here. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to subliminally, yeah. like, wait a minute, did Brian, you didn't have sultry voices. They don't have a, wait a minute. <laughs> that's not us. Anyway, he's going to join us for the rest of the hour talking about the arts and creativity and filmmaking and documentary work and a whole host of other things that's coming up next here on the common good on AML. 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the internet. Just Google us. I don't want to give it all every time. That just is, it's too much, right? Facebook, we it's get it. It's all over. 
1160hope.com. We get it. We don't want him to find Podcast. us. We don't. That's not, don't say that. Jeez, Stay away. Good right? salesman, Brian. Well, <laughs> Stay away. Well, we are joined in studio by filmmaker John Ross. And yes. before we get into my next question, where can people go to find out more about you or the stuff you're working on? Yes, you can go to my website. Um, it's somenobodies.com. So that's S-O-M-E-N-O-B-O-D-Y-S.com. Somenobodies.com. Can't encourage you enough. What you're doing, I think, in Chicagoland and really like around the world is pretty amazing to me. But I actually met you at church before yep. I knew who you were or what you did. <laughs> so I know that faith is an important aspect for you. Yes. And a topic that's come up a lot on this show in the last year is sort of this intersection of like faith and artistry. And mm-hmm. it feels like a lot of times the church struggles, the big C church, yep. to really engage uh, holistically with questions about creativity and artistry. I'm curious, what's your journey been like um, in sort of living in these two worlds mm-hmm. and desiring to see them in some ways sort of merge a bit, but yeah. what's been your experience or your process in uh, kind of wrestling through the two lenses of art and faith? Well, I mean, the, the first thing is that um, growing up, I didn't understand that you can do both. Right. So when right. I first started out, I found myself just kind of playing the game of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means, you know, you, you play the ropes, right? So, you right. know, get coffee and you know, go from getting coffee to mopping trailers. And, right. Um, and then try to, you, you just want to work your way up the ladder. Yeah. Um, but during that process, I didn't really understand that, you know, or how to even express my faith in, in, in huh. those things. Huh. And so I remember working on the movie Barbershop 2 back in the day and I was, uh, I forgot whose trailer I was cleaning. I think it was Cedric Entertainer's trailer or something hmm. like that. And he walked in there, and like I just smiled for any reason. I was just smiling. <laughs> and he was like, all right, Mr. Smiley, keep on cleaning that trailer. Um, <laughs> yes, but, sir. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but it was right then. It was odd. But right then in that moment, I started to kind of put two and two together. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, your action speaks a lot yeah. right, to people. And even though I was just mopping the trailer, me smiling while doing that spoke a lot. So I said, mm-hmm. okay. At the time, I, I was really struggling because, you know, I grew up in a very broken environment when, as a kid. And so I didn't really understand, you know, how to, to do faith or anything like that. Mm. I just knew you went to church. And if you didn't go to church and if you didn't do right in, in, in church, then you're going to go home and you're going to be on punishment and get a whooping or something yeah, like that. Right. And so Same. I didn't understand. <laughs> right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So <laughs> totally. I didn't really understand what it meant to kind of live the life. I mm. knew how to do the life. Mm. But live it was totally different. And what I mean by doing and living is that. To do is like the, the scheduled things you must do, right? right? Go to church, pray, repent of your sins, and right. and that's it. And if you mess up on those things, then, you know, you're out of heaven. Yeah. That's what I thought at the time. Yeah. Right. But I didn't understand that, you know, it's more than that. It's a relationship thing. Right? Yeah. It's just keeping in check with God and talking to him about what's going on in your life. But what you do to stand out is that in those situations that seem either demeaning or they may seem mm. tough and difficult— it's your response to those situations that makes you stand out. Yeah. Hmm. And so for me, I just started to realize that in the in the arts, if you do things to just be yourself, but to stand out because you are kind of cultural, mm. that really helps with my faith and me talking about what I'm trying to do. That's, That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So digging down a little bit more on that, you said uh, in the sheet, you said you believe my mission from God is to help people find their identity in Christ while pursuing their passion for the arts. That whole identity yes. in Christ is so huge. Where'd that mission kind of, how did that bubble up for you? And, and how have you wrestled with this along your journey? Yes. Yeah, so um, starting out, um, I grew up in a family in a household of, we had like 12 kids in the house. I grew wow. up with my grandparents, right? Wow. Um, and I was the youngest of, of, of the 12 that was in the house. 
And so my grandmother kind of took in all her nieces and nephews and grandchildren. And uh, my nickname was Baby John. I'm like the youngest of <laughs> yeah, like right. eight or nine Johns in my family. Um, but I always felt like this outcast person, right, that was mm. in the corner. You keep your mouth shut and things of that nature. Uh. And so um, all the older kids in the house were majority guys. And so I always felt like I lived in everybody else's shadow. Yeah, And right. I never had my own identity. Mm. Um, I really didn't know uh, that much about my family uh, um, besides uh, my aunts and my uncles. That was pretty much it. And mm. so... I always felt like I was living to be somebody's, somebody else. And so at mm. the time, um, I had two cousins that were just extremely talented. Right? And I would always do everything that they did. Right. But once I got 18 years old, I, I felt empty because I, I, could never me- I could never measure up with what they yeah. did. They yeah. were very talented guys. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until then that I kind of found my own niche. And then I was working on the movie Ali. And Will Smith kind of took me to the side while we were, you know, working a movie. And he's like, I see a lot of myself in you. And and so let's, you know, he just started telling me his story about how he made it. Um, And it just in that moment, it gave me an identity. It's like, I want to be like this guy. And so, like, even though it was like a very short moment while we were on the set, I just watched everything that he did and how he operated and moved in and out. I was like, okay, I know who I am now. That's Mm -hmm. something that I'm supposed to be doing. But it took for somebody to have that, um, yeah. that communication talk, I see in you conversation. Uh-huh. Right, which is, right? That's right. Um, and I, I had that identity right then and there. So it became yeah. very important to me to do the same thing in the world when it comes to sharing my, yeah. my talent and my experiences. So what would you say to someone listening right now that's thinking like, yeah, I'm in that same place. I don't know who I am. Like not everyone is as fortunate to find that at 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, in their yeah. young adult years. Yeah. A lot of people, and I, I, you know, Brian and I both experienced this a lot in pastoral ministry. A lot of people are living in someone's shadow or yeah. they're trying to be someone they're not. What like word of hope or encouragement or even maybe challenge would you give to someone who finds himself in that space right now? Yeah, so uh, what I, I normally do is I tell people, you have to ask yourself a question every time you wake up. And mm. this is just my journey. Mm. And so I ask myself this question every day when I wake up. If I couldn't do what I'm doing right now, yeah. what could I see myself doing? And every day is the same question, which is I, I don't see anything else. Wow. Right? You know, I, I, I don't. Um, now, the Lord continues to add to that. Right. So public speaking and all right. those things, uh, you know, those became passion of mine as well. But every day I wake up and I ask myself the same question. And so my advice would be do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? There's something downloaded in your soul and in your system that um, you have to awaken in yourself. Hmm. Right? And, and, that's, and that's through just intimate time in prayer and just constantly asking questions and keeping in, in contact with who God is and, and what he wants for your life. That's great, man. I, I, yeah. That's such a great question. And I wonder there's people out there probably driving home from work right now going, I don't know. I'm just trying to get a paycheck, just trying <laughs> yeah. to get on. Maybe what's a step yeah. or two you tell them? Because even hearing you say that, I'm both encouraged and challenged. Yeah. Like, oh, it's not really the way I think when I wake up. Right. Um, so maybe an encouragement to people out there who are like, I don't know. I'm just trying to put food on the table and I'm, I'm not even thinking about my dreams anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the scripture that comes to mind is that, you know, when Jesus says that I come that you may have life and life abundantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. To the full. Right. To yeah. the fullest. Right. Yeah. And so if if that's your journey is waking up every morning to make a, a, a dollar fulfilling in your life. Hmm. And if it's not, then you have to really have an honest conversation with yourself and have an honest conversation with God about your life, right? Hmm. You know, for me, I want to make sure that uh, when, when, when it's all said and done in my life, that I said, you know what? I really live this thing, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And not letting anything hold me back. And what I found out is that um, 
one day I was having this conversation. This case came to my mind. I have this conversation about a guy, about um, an acorn, right, and, mm-hmm. and how it goes into a tree, that when you plant an acorn in the ground, it vibrates at a speed so fast you can't see it, but it pulls all the nutrients that it needs to you, right? No kidding. It really does. Well. And so and it can't, nothing stop this acorn from getting its nutrition. Huh. And you have to be the same way in life, right? You know, uh, money is a tool. Yeah. Is what it is. Just like anything else, just like right. your phone, right. just like that cup that you're drinking out of, it's a tool. Right. And so you cannot put the ideology of money above anything else because it's mm. just a tool in your toolbox. Mm. So you have to wake up every day and ask yourself, okay, okay, God has given me everything that I need today mm-hmm. to make it. Right. What do I have today? Mm. Right. So mm. if it's not money, then it's not money that you need today. Yeah. Um, in our culture, we put a lot of emphasis on money. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's totally a trick of the enemy. And so mm. like what I did... Uh, when it came to like starting a non-for-profit, somebody's nobody. I didn't necessarily. Like, I mean, I didn't have any of the money to do it. Mm. I didn't have a lot of the resources that I had. But what I did have was I had my my career and what I've done. Yeah. I had my cell phone and yeah. I had a group of guys that were willing to go to battle with me and with my wife. And and it's like, okay, that's what I needed today. And some days I have money, some days I don't. But every day I wake up and I just ask myself those honest questions every morning. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, um, can I see myself doing anything else? Yeah. All right, then what do I have today to get this job done? Yeah. Right. And that's how you should live your life. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, uh, I remember Quincy Jones saying this is mm-hmm. that, and he didn't say this to me personally, but <laughs> <laughs> um, he says that, you know, man, I'm going to live this life, man. You know, yeah. I got these hours, I got these minutes and I'm going to wear it out. And yep. I just, what I want to do, I want to wear these minutes and wear these, these, these hours out of my life and say, you know what? Yeah. I live life to the fullest mm. and I gave all of, all, all of my energy and all of my time and all of my mindset to spreading the gospel to this world. And that's what mm. I want to do. Man, you need to add motivational speakers yes, to you. Man, man. <laughs> oh, I'm about to jump out of my chair, man. Yeah. Well, that is filmmaker John Ross will yeah. be sharing with us for one more segment here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. If you wouldn't mind, you can even rate and review on the Facebook page. That also somehow... Zuckerberg tells me that helps. Zuckerberg. I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get podcasts. But we are joined in studio by filmmaker John Ross. And John, it has been such a joy having you on the show, by the way, man. I just appreciate, I appreciate you and your heart and the way that you see the world. Uh, one more time, where can people learn more about you and what you're about? Yes, please go to my website. That's mm-hmm. somenobodies.com. That's S O M E. N-O-B-O-D-Y-S dot com. Somenobodies.com. Yes. I can't encourage you enough to go there. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot again. All right. Because it's radio, so why not? Um, gotcha. Your bio says you were just recently nominated for the Black Excellence Award by the African American Arts Alliance of Chicago. Yeah. What is that all about? Uh, the uh, So it's uh, for the African American Arts Alliance. Um, it's just um, a group of artists um, that's in the city of Chicago that um, they really go out and support a lot of African-American arts mm. in, in the city of Chicago. And uh, that was actually, it wasn't recently. That was all at the same time with the, um, uh, the Emmy nomination. But, oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. But Still, it, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really, really great because I wasn't even expecting it. I had mm. gotten a phone call um, from a friend of mine named Wendell Edely, and uh, he's a playwright here in the city of Chicago. Mm. And he's like, John, people love your work, and um, they want to they they honor you. Wow. Uh, the, uh, black excellence nomination and so that was really, really cool to be able to experience that and to really be 
um, recognized by your peers. So it's got to be motivating too. Like, okay, yeah. what what we're doing here doing matters. Like people are noticing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like I, I don't know if you have ever been on like a road trip. But like when <laughs> yeah. you start out and you're going for a, a, like a long distance and you see like 568 miles to yeah. Chicago, right? You know, when you start to see 300 and 200, you're getting close to your destination. It becomes yeah. exciting. Right. And so those things are, are like that to me. It's that, cool. okay, I'm getting closer to my destination. That's pretty cool. That's and exciting, exciting, man. Yeah. Speaking of your journey, I'm just curious. And you shared some of them already. Where Can you think of a moment or two where you just pinched yourself and you were like, Man, I just interacted with this person, or I'm yeah. realizing my dream in this way. What, when you yeah. look back, what were some of those moments? Yeah, so uh, I'll go um, recent, and then I'll go to um, two moments prior to that. Okay. Right? So recently, just yesterday, I was at a, an event uh, uh, by Represent Justice, um, hmm. representjustice.org, um, and the things that they're doing. But uh, just being at that event and with all the people that were there that were doing things to change the world when it comes wow. to prison reform. Wow. And I was just like, wow, I'm sitting here. I was invited here. And that's, huh. that was an amazing moment for me because it's like, here it is. You're, you're in a room with people that are doing things to change the world. And I was like, okay, I'm just John Ross. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not even thinking about it. Um, so that was one moment. The, uh, the moment prior to that was, uh, this is just like a very, very odd moment. Um, when I was working at Barbershop 2, um, we were having lunch one day, and the owners of MGM and the governor, Bogorovich at the time, we sat <laughs> and we ate, ate lunch in the middle of the street, which is just like, no kidding. okay, here I am. I'm 21 <laughs> years old. I'm eating lunch with the governor and the owner of MGM. Yeah. Wow, it's like odd, right? Um, and so like uh, the moment um, after that, um, it was a moment when I met uh, a good friend of mine. His name is Devon Franklin. I don't know if you ever heard of Devon mm-hmm. Franklin. Yeah. Um, but I had met him for the first time on my birthday. And so I didn't know who he was at the time. <laughs> and so I, I go to the hotel that he was staying at, and he was helping him promote his book, um, Produced by Faith. And I'm sitting there, and we're just talking for two hours, and then I finally look him up after we talk. And I was like, oh, wow, he's like the Sony Pictures executive. <laughs> I'm in the room sitting here talking with them, And we kind of hit it off. I mean, to this day, we're still good friends with each other, but um, wow. those are like few of the moments yeah. that was like, this cannot be happening. Yeah, yes. right. right. And then last, uh, but Will Smith, obviously. It's like, yeah, oh, right. That's a good story, too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So those are a few moments. So my uh, my question sort of a two-parter. One, because your line of work is so vastly different than what Brian and I do, I'm just, I'm curious, are there stories, any that you haven't shared yet, that you're like, oh, man, this is like one of my favorites. When I'm meeting somebody from at a party, I love telling this story about my past or something, interaction that you've had that's just kind of wild. And secondly, yeah. like, what's on the horizon for you? What's the mm-hmm. future yeah. of John Ross the next 10, 15, 20 years? Like where, where are you kind of setting your sights a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so one of the moments where you just kind of met somebody and you're like, wow, um, for me uh, was, uh, it's really funny. It was uh, <laughs> my first day at Community Christian Church. No kidding. Um, we came on Easter uh, um, to the latest service they had that day. It was like 1145. And um, we, we came there and we sat on the first row because we came there late. Right. Yeah, we always put the latecomers yeah. front and center. Right, bro. Right. March them down. <laughs> and this is 2014, hmm. and we're sitting there, and it was this guy sitting next to me, and we had been just you know chatting it up and just yeah. kind of you know joking, doing the whole service. And then he gets up on the stage. He's like, "Yeah, my name is Dave Ferguson. I'm the founder." So, wow, well. this is a pretty down earth guy. <laughs> but it's just like, wow, that's that's pretty. Up to that point, I had never experienced anything like that. Right? Oh, wow. So that's one of the things that made me even want to come to Community Christian. You know, um, first that's awesome. and uh, and then even like talking to you. It's like you know oh, talking man. to you and, and just meeting everybody that are leaders at the church. It's like, wow, these are really down earth guys that don't allow, allow their titles hmm. to. Um, 
put them on a on, on a pedestal, right? Mm, that's and cool, that's man. Who, who I am as a person. So I'm really drawn and attracted to people like that. And then what's uh, for me in the future? Yeah. Um, so with uh, somebody's nobody, that's really the, the, the driving focus. Um, and we have three phases of what we're trying to do. So the hmm. first thing that we're trying to do is um, to have Chicago as our hub, right? That hmm. we, we want to build up a big sound stage and a movie studio in an impoverished neighborhood of, of Roseland. It's what we really want to do. No mm-hmm. kidding. We want to surround it with businesses and teach people in the community how to start their own business. And so um, what I'm seeing in, in my head, what, what the vision God has given me about that is that it's repentance and restoration of all these impoverished communities. That's yeah. the first thing, right? Um, then the second phase of it is to go to four other cities and do the same exact thing. Hmm. Um, so that's Portland, Vegas, Tampa, and Newark, New Jersey. Wow. And we pick those cities because they sit right outside of major hubs in the arts. And we want to act like as a bowl of people who feel, feel like they've been outcast hmm. by those th- uh, by those people in hmm. those communities, right? Wow. Um, minister to them and make cr- and create healthy um, artists is what I want to say, right? Yeah. Right. So teach them soul keep, right? So teach them how to take care of themselves mentally, physically, put the right foods in their bodies right. and then send them out there. Because I believe that if you have healthy people, then you have healthy artists. Mm. And that's what's wrong with this industry right now is that we don't have healthy artists out there. Right? Oh, wow. And then you have the last phase, which is distribution. We want to get into distribution, healthy content out there to the world. So That's great. That's yeah. incredible, man. So with the last couple of minutes we have, the, mm-hmm. you are clearly a visionary, someone who dreams, big yeah. dreams. Yes. And I'm, I'm grateful for that and, and challenged by that and encouraged. Yeah. Again, you did this earlier, but speak to the guy or the or the woman out there who just because I don't know, like I don't dream well. Maybe yeah. just a word of encouragement to them about uh, kind of this concept of dreaming big. Hey, yeah. Give us some of that Tony Robbins inspiration. And I'm gonna write it down. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, just in closing, um, I would like to say that um, I understand how it feels to to feel like a nobody, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I will be not the first person nor the last person to feel that way. Right? Yeah, you right. look in and Samuel and David felt the same way. Right. Yeah. He says that I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. How many times mm-hmm. in that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then God sends them a whole group of nobodies and they end up conquering and, and become in the kingdom. Right. Yeah. And I kind of embody that story. Right. Um, I feel like, you know, I was a, a kid that, that was a nobody, um, but God gave me an identity. That's why it's important to know your family and your lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that everybody is born to be a somebody. Right? Yeah. Um, and the reason why I kind of named that uh, the uh, organization Somebody's Nobodies because God is a somebody and we are his quote unquote nobodies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but he had given us a name. He knows how many hairs is on your head. So you are important to the world and you're important to God. And mm-hmm. if you never, ever reach your fullest potential, you are robbing the world of the gift that God has given in the, the, the person of you. Hmm. So go out there and live your dream. Right? Mm. Go out there and live it. You can do it. Yeah. If you're made to do something, it's not, it's not a matter of if you can accomplish it. Just a matter of when. Yeah. Right? So don't be afraid of challenges. Don't be afraid of hardship because it makes you stronger. Um, and, and a great example of that is that, you know, I was, I was watching the All-Star game last night and yeah. I saw the intro of how all these Chicagoans have this pride about their city. Yeah, it was great. Um, but if you if you know the city of Chicago and its history, right, it, you know that it's a very hard nosed and a hard knocked city, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I embody that story. Mm. But it's through those struggles and those hardships that you come out as as refined gold and diamonds, right? Mm. So never stray away from challenges. Never stray away from hardship because it makes you stronger mm. and it turns you into God, who God always envisioned for you to be when He He created you. And when your parents name you that name, God already knew what your name was. Mm, Yeah, very very important. So, 
Man, John Ross, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for joining us today. Man, that yeah. reminds me of a quote I remember reading from Bob Goff a couple couple months ago. He says, don't just do what you're able to do. Do what you were made to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I love that vision. I love your heart. I love what you're doing in the world, man. Thank you for taking the time thank to you. talk to us today. You absolutely can. Please yeah, do. I just want to say thank you to all the people who have, have helped me and support me over the years. So yeah. My wife. Uh, my children, yeah. um, um, all the guys that's working on the Somebody's No Lights project, like Razor Red, um, uh, my cousin Kyle, um, community Christian, who have been a huge support to me. Awesome. Thank you, guys. My grandmothers for raising me. All those guys. I, I really appreciate you. Absolutely, man. Can't encourage you enough to go to somenobodies.com. That's S-O-M-E-N-O-B-O-D-Y-S.com. Learn more about John Ross and his vision. The organization is doing. John, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, today, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, appreciate appreciate it, man. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the global church. We're going to talk about the National Prayer Breakfast. And Francis Chan has been sharing some really interesting things about healings. That's all coming up next on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, and I would understand if you didn't want to, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com slash the common good. Also on Twitter at common good talk plus wherever it is you get your podcasts. I'm also told you can just tell Alexa and she will. Do you know? Why do you hate me? Your hate should not be directed toward me. I hate Alexa. It's also not Alexa's fault. You get one more guess. I hate myself. <laughs> well, now you made it sad. Yeah. Anyone who's like just tuning into the show for the first here's, time. Here's the thing. If I, if one of my children went a month without doing what they were supposed to do, we would have so many talks. <laughs> and I imagine what you're asking them to do is so much more difficult than asking I go that Alexa. Long, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, I, uh, should I, I even hold out hope anymore? Yes, you should. I should. I, I, <laughs> I'm crying out to the mercy of the court. Yes. There's no court. If there was a court, you'd already be convicted without bail. That would be... Kind of unavoidable. That's really funny. Either way, I love that I'm still bringing this up, though, even though someone did message us and say it does work. <laughs> you want me to tell you. Right, exactly. I want experience. you to be – right. It's a matter of integrity, Brian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want you with a clean conscience to be able to say, yes, you can tell Alexa. Plus, we need to know if it works both live and for the podcast. Yep. We'll get there. I'll get there. I believe in you. <laughs> Just okay. don't lose faith in me. I will not. Never. Never for the – 
it's already have. It's not, <laughs> not true. <laughs> All right. So um, we talk a lot about uh, Chicago specific mm-hmm. news and something often specific to the United States. But a thing that we've been trying to be really mindful of is how do we also keep a perspective of the global church? Right. Um, and sometimes it can feel like just sort of one offs, like, oh, we saw this thing. And it's something that you and I have both been really intentional about, like, how, how can we better sort of expand our vision about all right, what's happening to brothers and sisters around the entire planet? Yeah. And uh, I was just searching online a couple of different websites, and I found three different fairly disturbing stories uh, just simply regarding persecution of Christians um, yeah. in various different places around the world. So I, I got three different stories I want to touch on briefly, if for no other reason mm-hmm. than to just sort of simply expand our vision Agreed. of what, what's happening in the world. That so there's more uh, out there than just Chicago or yes, the country. That's Absolutely. Right, that's right. So I don't have any preconceived notion mm-hmm. of action items or what we're necessarily supposed to do about this other than pray. But uh, I'll let you kick us off with the first one. Yeah, the first headline, this is out of the Christian Post. Iranian Christian convert fears execution if deported for giving wrong answers on Bible quiz. My a 38-year-old Christian convert who says he would face imprisonment, execution, and separation from his British wife and daughter if deported to Iran has once again applied for asylum to the UK's home office as his appeal was earlier rejected because he wasn't able to name Judas as the betrayer of Jesus at an immigration hearing. Right. Reza Karka from Bradford, who fled Iran, who fled Iran for the UK in 2003, said if he's deported, Iranian authorities would punish him for his conversion hmm. to Christianity. At an earlier immigration hearing, he got confused and wasn't able to answer some biblical questions correctly. 150 of them. That's crazy. I wonder what they were. Uh, and uh, um, Andrea Williams, chief executive of the Christian uh, Legal Center, stressed Riza Karka is the real deal, a courageous man transformed by the gospel and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. At stake here is not just the life of Riza, but also his equally brave yet vulnerable wife and their beautiful daughter. And so the story goes on, but that's just crazy that you're in the UK, uh, you fled Iran, and if you're deported, you're facing possible uh, not just imprisonment, but execution for no right. other reason than that you're now have converted to Christianity. Isn't that wild that we have like no frame of reference for anything even close to that? I don't. None. Do you? None at all. None hey, at if all. I end up, if I get caught and sent back. That could be the end of my life. Yep. So please let me stay here. Yeah. Can you, I mean, not to mention knowing all of that has got to be the most stressful context to take a test, a quiz of some kind, knowing that literally your life could be at stake. The very least, I don't know what to do with that story. But for me, I was just reading the story thinking I have no context for that kind of fear. Um, Also, that kind of decision. I mean, knowing that it could cost him his life if he ever did get deported, which is always a very real threat. He still chose to be a convert. He yeah, still chose that's, Christianity. That that's is, crazy too, right? That is where the rubber meets the road, right? We all say or like to think that, you know, if I were faced between uh, turning on Jesus or my life, that we'd all, you know, hold the faith. But this is somebody who's really being tested by that. And um, and it's really hard to think, what would I actually do in that situation? Uh, right. Be praying for this guy. So the uh, second story comes from Christianity Today. And it says, 15 killed in fire at Haiti orphanage run by U.S. Church. A fire swept through a Haitian children's home run by a Pennsylvania-based Christian nonprofit group, mm. killing 15 children, officials oh. said. Rosemary Lewis, a child care worker at the home, told the Associated Press that the fire began around 9 p.m. Thursday, and firefighters took about 90 minutes to arrive. Golly. 
The orphanage had been using candles for lights due to oh. problems with its generators and inverters, she said. About half of those who died were babies or oh. toddlers, and the others were roughly 10 to 11 years old. Late Friday afternoon, police raided another home also run by the Church of Bible Understanding, which is the name of the uh, the church group, and took away several dozen children in a bus over protests from employees. Mm. The fire happened at the group's orphanage in the Kenskoff area outside Port-au-Prince, the Haitian capital. It could have been me, said Renati Mondelin, a 22-year-old who lived in the home with her son, now six, for about two years until she started making enough money as a street vendor to start renting her own place to live last year. These little girls inside were just like my baby. Mm. Again, this so is hard. another one of those stories that's so heartbreaking yeah. and also so difficult for me to to even imagine walking yeah. a mile in those shoes. Absolutely. Like circumstances that I've never even had to come close to living in and just breaks my heart. I, again, I don't really know what else to do other than no, pray, to pray and, right? and just be aware. The last story, also out of Christianity Day, uh, and this one's really hard. The latest Burkina Faso church attack kills 24, including the pastor. Sunday's raid left 18 more wounded and burned down the town church. Gunmen killed 24 civilians, including a church pastor, and kidnapped three others on Sunday in Burkina Faso. It was the latest attack against a religious leader in the increasingly unstable West African nation. Hmm. Uh, the mayor said the attack occurred in the town of uh, Ponzi, uh, in the Yaga province, the roughly 20 attackers separated men from women close to a Protestant church. Uh, at least 18 other people were injured. Uh, both Christians and Muslims were killed before the church was set on fire, said a government security official Gosh. who spoke on condition of an- uh, anonymity uh, because they weren't authorized to speak to the media. Attacks have targeted religious leaders in the area in the past. In fact, just last week, also in this province, a retired pastor was killed and another pastor was abducted by gunmen according to an internal security report for aid workers seen by the Associated Press. Extremist violence has dramatically escalated uh, in the once peaceful Burkina Faso. More than a dozen people were killed at an evangelical church in last December, and back-to-back attacks targeted Protestant and Catholic gatherings last spring. Analysts are concerned that attacks against civilians, including against Christians, are increasingly are increasing, quote, at an alarming Rate and so again, wow. this is the heaviest of all of them, I think. And it's yeah, it goes on. You know, it later says over thirteen hundred civilians were killed yeah. in targeted attacks just last year in Burkina Faso. That's unbelievable. And so again, uh, not to you know um, be a broken record here, but like there, the one reason you and I uh, feel a, an importance of doing stories like this is to remind us of what's going on to brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, but also to go: Do we have any frame of reference for this at all? Yeah, right. And I don't. At all. Like, this is just uh, um, this escalating violence that is kind of um, situated upon um, the the uh, the faith groups of Burkina Faso in this sense, uh, in this story. Uh, it's heartbreaking. And again, I don't have a, a frame of reference. And the only takeaway really is to be mindful and to be praying. Well, I, I want to actually do something. I didn't even run this by you yet, but my, my buddy uh, Travis from home actually – commented on one of our Facebook posts, or he sent a message and he said, I would love if uh, every once in a while you guys just prayed for the stuff yeah. you talked about. It would be all right if I just prayed right now. I don't Absolutely. know if that's uh, a radio no-no or not, but <laughs> I'm just reading these three stories back yeah, to back. Absolutely. I feel just this real burden. So let me let me just pray real quickly. Uh, Father, we know that you are far greater than just simply our mm-hmm. individual realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're far greater than just simply what's happening in our own backyards in the United States. We know that brothers and sisters, day in and day out, that you care about, that you know and love, uh, are suffering under severe persecution, God, would you be with them? Would you comfort them? Would you protect them and give them power? But would yeah. you also, um, in our 
areas of safety, would you give us a burden for the things that break your heart, God? Would you help open our eyes to the ways that not only you're working, but also the ways that people are hurting um, in environments that look very different than ours, God? So would you stir in our hearts? Would you um, be with and protect and love and comfort those who are grieving, who are in fear, who are experiencing pain and sorrow right now? And uh, we give these countries up to you, these nations, mm-hmm. these churches, these people, and ask God that you be glorified in all of that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, coming up next, staying sort of in this international realm, Francis Chan has been sharing recently about some pretty miraculous things that he's yeah. been seeing, uh, particularly over the last couple of months. So we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. Thanks for being here. Thanks for <laughs> you point to the sky every time I say your name. Is yes. that how? How do they introduce you at your church? Is I was there kind of leaving to you. When they introduce you, do you get to introduced? Preach? Yeah. No, I just go up and introduce myself. You do? Yeah, let's go. How hey, do um, you introduce yourself on a Sunday morning? Hey, good morning. If you're visiting, thanks for coming. My name's Brian Fromm, one of the pastors here at Four Corners. That's all it is. Oh, that's, that's pretty do. good. Do you ever say the, uh, if we've never met before, my name is Brian? No. You don't say it like that? Uh-uh. uh-uh. It's a very common thing to do, and linguistically, I find it hilarious. Well, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, I don't introduce myself. How are uh, you introduced? It depends. I introduce myself sometimes, too. We have a host usually. Oh, so a person introduces you. A person like will a say video. something like, uh, yeah, something like. Out of Judson University, standing five. <laughs> weighing in at 112 pounds, soaking wet. No, it's more like, uh, and we're joined today by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins. Something, something like that. Something easy. Yeah, I'll usually often say I'm one of the pastors on staff mm-hmm. or something to that effect. But it always cracks me up, though, when people say, hey, if we haven't met, my name is Brian. You're like, well, who are you if we have met? <laughs> oh, if we have met, then my, my name is Steve. I'm a, I'm a totally different person if we have met. It's like, what? That's just one of those things that my dad always caught, and uh, we laughed at together. That's funny. So Francis Chan was at uh, Moody Church recently, right? Just over the, when was that? Last week? It must have been. So he was there, and... Um, have you have you been to Moody Church before? By the way, I have. It's beautiful. It's a, I mean, it's a masterful room. It's an incredible space, and so they have this uh, this big. I think it's a two day conference, and he he said some stuff that has really stirred some people up. He's, yeah, I feel like he's been uh, making headlines yeah. more so than typical. Um, for some pretty different reasons, actually. Yeah. So we've talked about him probably three times in the last three months. The big one was him basically announcing, we're going to move to is it Myanmar. Yeah, right. And uh, God's calling us to just go leave everything and be a missionary. And there was some blowback to it. There was some encouragement. We talked a lot about that story. Well, so here's I, w- I want to play for you what he actually said here at the uh, Moody Bible Institute. And um, I'm curious some of your reactions to what he said. But I tell you. When I was in that village two weeks ago, no believers, they don't even have a comprehension of healing. And I'm going, God, please, please hear. People started coming forward for healing. Every person I touched was healed. You guys, okay. This is, this is craziness to me. I have never experienced this in 52 years. I'm talking like a little boy and a little girl who were deaf. We lay hands. She starts crying and smiling. Again, these are not Christians. These are not people who even heard about Jesus. 
and she's freaking out. And we're like, lay hands on your little brother. You know, we lay hands on him. And he starts hearing for the first time. Like, you guys, this is out of my comfort zone. This is stuff I'd read about, but I'm going, man, it happened. It happened. I mean, just stuff like left and right. I'm going, this isn't, and that's why I'm going, God, I don't want to leave this. This is, I mean, I, I thought I had faith, but my faith was at another level. So what do you what do you think as you hear that? I, it's classic Francis Chan, right? Where you're like, you is, leave. Is it? Well, where you leave listening, being like, I'm just convicted. And, oh, okay. And because um, you in know, a lot of ways, it's not classic Francis Chan at all. Correct. Correct. I, I meant more in the conviction side. But like, I don't doubt that that happened, right? Like, there might be some people out there being like, hmm, I don't think that happened. He doesn't have a reason to make this up, right? And so, um, you know, him and his family said, we feel like God is calling us over here. He goes to a place where he apparently is in a village where nobody even knows of Jesus and people are being healed. And I'm like, that's, I think my first thought is like, man, I don't even have a framework to even discern this or even like uh, process this. Uh, and then there's always that part in the back of your mind going, Man, if this is true, which I have no reason to believe it's not, then I mean, I want to see this. And, yeah, and right. why is that not happening here? And well, that what was going to be my next question. That? Why do you think that's the case? I don't know. And maybe it is happening here and it's just not happening in our circles necessarily. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think there's some truth to that, but I think there is also a truth to it's not happening in the same way here. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how you answer that when people ask you that question, because. That's one that stumps me. You know, it could be something about us. It could be that God's working in different ways in different places. It could be, hey, they don't have his word. They don't have this. He even said they have no concept of God or of Jesus and uh, weren't even looking for healing. And so, you know, God breaks through in that way. I don't know the reason. But when you read stuff like that or you hear stuff like that, right? Uh, there is a little bit of jealousy, too. Right. Like, man, I want to I want to experience that. I want to see that. And he I even goes that. on to say. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really believe in modern day miracles, but God's been kind of working on me. But I've certainly never seen right. anything like that at the age of 52 to experience that, I think, has to be life altering. I also think it raises some interesting theological questions because he's like very intentional to say the people that were being healed um, were not Christians. Yes. So often the old adage is, well, the healing didn't happen because you didn't have enough faith that you'd be healed or whatever. Mm. So we put the ownership on the faith of the yep. person who needs the yep. healing. And here's a person, and maybe you could argue that they had some faith in something. They saw Francis, and they're like, well, I'll go up this there. is worth a shot. But for him to, I think, articulate, especially in a place like Moody, like, hey, they did not sign on a dotted line. They didn't pray a prayer. At least at this point, um, I imagine that'd be hard to, hard to fight after you're physically healed. Like, if you're deaf and you receive your hearing, like, all right, whatever team you're on, I'm that team now. Yes. Like, I could see that being like, all right, I'm in. But then you think of guys like, do you know who Todd White is? He's a Canadian former hockey player, but now like his his sort of um, ministry is just walking around streets and city centers and just laying hands and healing people. And he was in a lot of the the Wanderlust production films early on. So really, he's, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a really you should pull up a sermon or something because he's he's got big gnarly dreads and he you know kind of he doesn't talk like a Canadian ice hockey player. He talks more <laughs> like a surfer now. But some of his react and he does a lot of work with uh, some of those guys from Corn who are now Christ followers yeah. and some of the stuff that they're even seeing like at the end of a Corn concert for real. So it is happening here. Again, maybe in very different circles, but I'm I, like I'm wondering just for the average person. Nah, that's not even fair to say average for anyone listening that's saying oh, I've never seen a miracle in my lifetime. Boy, what would you say to that person? 
Uh, I mean, you can look at some of what Chan said. Chan said, for the last few years, I've believed. I've believed in miracles. When I meet the sick, I pray for them and believe for healing. And I'm so shocked because every time I pray, nothing would happen. It gets discouraging. Mm. Uh, And I think we've all been there. I don't know. As a pastor, I've been there. Would you pray for the sick person and pray for them? And almost in the back of your mind going, yeah, right. Are we allowed to admit this? Like almost in the back of your mind going, is is anything going to happen? I don't think any. I've never. No, that's real, though. I think it's helpful for people to know that pastors often feel that, too. Yeah. And so for Chan, in some level, it took him going to Myanmar, which required a huge amount of faith to get there, (laughs) to do that. That's true. Um, But he even acknowledges. He says, uh, man, it happened. I thought I had faith, but my faith was at another level. It's almost as if. Uh, it grew his faith, but in some ways the healing required his faith. Like you said, it didn't require the faith of those coming forward, but but the faith of the person doing the healing. Um, yeah, I think it really ch- – I don't know. It, what The biggest thing I would say for this is I don't have a box for this. Hmm. I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a charismatic stream. Um, I've always only lived in the States. Like the evangelical world that we, you and I talk about on a daily basis is the world that I've lived in, went to college in and everything. Yeah. And so, you know, I read stories like this. And I'm like, I want to see that. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't have any category for that. Right. Like personally, I don't have any category for that. And so it does leave you really wrestling. Like if I had listened to Chan speak, I would have been like, man, besides being challenged and wanting that, I don't even know what to do with that. Well, I was going to ask that, too, then, because you mentioned at the beginning of the segment feeling some jealousy. Is there a step or two that you would suggest someone to make (laughs) to move beyond jealousy, to move beyond simply like, oh, man, I wish that happened here. Anyway, back to Nintendo. You know what I mean? (laughs) How do we actually take what we just listened to or read and say, all right, um, I'm not ready to move to another country, but man, I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in my family, in my marriage, with my kids, in my neighborhood, in my church. Um, but I don't know how to go about this. And yeah. I don't, don't want to be seen as weird or like, what would you say to that? Yeah. And I don't do this well, but I don't think, I, I think there's an academic nature, right? I think there's a lot of stuff we could be reading, listening to, checking out, like it be, be a, um, uh, be eager to learn more. But you know what? Something I've never done really well. So this is me pointing back at myself is I don't go swim in other streams in terms mm. of, you know, uh, there are, you know, some people in our country right now who might be listening. It's going, no, we see this on a regular basis. I don't right. go even search that out. And I know mm. there's some dangerous air. I'm not suggesting everything is right as it seems. I'm right, not suggesting right. that at all. But I'm also suggesting that sometimes we can be so tribal that it's mm-hmm. like, nope, I will not get out of my tribe for any reason. And then we right. wonder, why do I never see anything different? Yeah, that's a good challenge, man. That's yeah. a difficult challenge it's to difficult. live out. I, I admit it. I don't do that well. Maybe that means visit another church once in a while and yeah. read a book by a different kind of author or whatever. I think that's a really, really helpful challenge, man. Mm-hmm. Well, coming up next, an article by a pastor named Ron Sitlow. He says, Arthur Brooks is wrong about love. Reflections on his speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good. Welcome, Brian. <laughs> I'm here. I'm still here. I didn't know you were welcoming me back. I thought we were together uh, welcoming to, them through you. No, the, welcoming through me. Yeah, like you, for, you were welcoming people back for both of us. I made it sound more like I was a ghost. <laughs> through. Welcome to my castle. If you could just walk through, Ian, please. But honest. yes, welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here as well. I'm grateful for you. You can find us on Facebook if you want the Common Good Radio Show. You can also review the show there on the Facebook page. That does help us out a lot. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, we're podcasted. And any uh, subscriptions, any ratings and reviews 
All of that does help us out, even bad ones. But please don't do that because Brian and I are both words of affirmation we people. We are. And that will break us. I was explaining this to somebody the other day. They asked me, what's my love language? I said, you clearly don't listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> Which ironically probably hurt your feelings. Hurt my feelings. <laughs> I am like, uh, I am a clear words of affirmation person. Has this happened yet where you'll bring something up in your conversation with your wife that you talked about on the show? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, oh, Oh, from the beginning, my wife has listened to a lot less of our show than I think you have. (laughs) Your wife has. Well, my wife did listen to the, but she's not a podcaster. They can't listen to all of it. Exactly. And so my wife, in her defense, is not, she's not a podcaster in general at all. Like, so it's not like she's podcasting all these other things, but not our show. You know, that I'd be a little hurt by. Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. And so she was painting our daughter's room the other day. We, we, she, anyway, we rehabbed her room a little bit and, uh, my my wife texted me like, oh, I'm painting and I'm listening to podcasts oh. of the common good. And I was like, hey, I said, Some, well, many people have said our show, our podcast is like watching paint dry. So we're <laughs> you are the worst at selling this show. Why do you even speak? That, <laughs> that was, the that ether. was just, it was just an inside joke that now I've shared with the audience. But, you know, it was. Uh, but no, I was very proud of her. I'm like, oh, OK. And she we talked about it that night. Like she's she's she enjoys the show. Do you ever have the opposite happen where somebody's like, hey, you said this on the show yesterday, Tuesday or whatever. Like you someone recalls something that you yes. remember saying that's also happened. That has happened. Yeah. Or where you'll get a text. Hey, I want to talk to you about something you said on your show. And oh. you're like, hey, I don't remember. And right. B, sometimes like people don't realize like in the moment you don't always say everything like exactly how if you could oh, write it out, sure. you would. For sure. And so you're like, oh, what did I say? What do they want to talk about? And <laughs> I, I haven't had any of those. None of those have turned out bad. But when I'm going into them, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. What did I say? What Sometimes did I people will comment on articles, too, and it'll be after we've already done the segment. And I'll read what they say. And I go, yeah, you said it way better That's than I did. That's what we meant to I say. Should, <laughs> I should have said what you just wrote. All right. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Arthur Brooks, who spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, it was an interesting. We're going to take a different angle in this segment. But uh, what he said, we both thought was actually really pointed. And then there was some controversy over Trump's comments following that. But there's a, a guy named Ron Sitlow. And here's the headline before I actually play for you a clip. Um, Arthur Brooks is wrong about. Love reflections on his speech at the National Prayer Breakfast. So first, I want you just to hear a little bit uh, of his comments from this which, of Brooks's uh, comments. Brooks, Brooks's comments yep. during the actual National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, this is just a snippet of what he actually said during that event. You want to know what dries out love? Fear, the ultimate negative emotion. Saint John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. People say, what's the opposite of love? Hate, wrong. Hate comes from fear. Where there is fear, there can't be love. To conquer fear, you must love. So therefore, if you find an environment where there is not enough love, you will axiomatically find an environment where there is too much fear. And that's exactly what we find among young people today. The most fearful generation since we've been keeping records. Okay, so real briefly, what what did you think of that? Uh, I think it's good. I think especially that distinction about what the opposite of love being fear and that fear driving us 
to not be loving. I think I think is uh, is something really interesting to think about, and I think is important. All right, let me read a little bit of what Sitlau said. He says Brooks gave no clear definition of love in his speech. Instead, he gave actionable steps of love as he sees it for the everyday pundit and politician. Here's a quick summary of Brooks' solution. Uh, don't be mean, or to use Brooks's term, contemptuous. Defend your opponents when your friends are mean to them, which Brooks calls moral courage. Pray, get an accountability partner, and keep a smile on your face no matter what. These are all good ideas, and I would recommend them for all people of goodwill, but the kind of love we need in the public square right now isn't sugar and spice and everything nice. We need contemptuous love. Biblical love is intention and action that brings about good. The good to seek in secular life is called the common good. Mm. Mm. The common good <laughs> is all about society, uh, that society needs to flourish. Rights like individual freedom, pursuing the life you desire, personal responsibility, a free economy, human dignity, free speech, and freedom of religion are some of the pillars of the common good in America. Christian love in the public square, then, is an intention and subsequent action to ensure that the common good is defended, thank you very much, and implemented in ways that enable everyone to flourish. The problem with Brooks's love is that it assumes that everyone wants to implement the good, and that is not true. In the past, both liberals and conservatives agreed on what the pillars of the common good were, even if they disagreed on how best to see those pillars expressed. Since Reconstruction, we have, had, uh, we have been a nation of differences, but we've also had goodwill toward one another. Today, however, it is different. Dangerous ideas that undermine the very pillars of a free society are pervasive. We can no longer assume that everyone is acting for the common good, for some among us are wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm going to pause there Ooh. and now get some of your reaction. <laughs> uh, well, besides, besides the love of the mention of the common good, 12 times. Yeah, I think yeah. we said defend the common good. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> uh, he makes a valid point. Like, it's not loving if we're just don't stand for anything, right? Is kind of his point. Or stand up for anything. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, where I would push back, and I might be putting words into this person's mouth, is that I think that we can. Uh, we can fight while still being loving. Hmm. And I wonder if that's what Brooks... I don't think Brooks was getting up there going, hey, Republicans here, just let Democrats do whatever they want. That's the loving thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think... Yeah, right. I think that... The, it, but this guy does bring up a good point. Like, we need to be willing to fight and stand up for what is right, and that right now in our society, what is right and what is wrong is certainly not agreed upon. And even as he puts, what are the pillars of our society? I just think that we can do that without demonizing our opponents. I think that's fair. I and think we that's can fair. do that while being loving. Um, and and I think that that becomes an important, as opposed to what, what Brooks said, uh, when somebody, uh, when I disagree vehemently with somebody about even say something like abortion that we talk a lot about often, uh, do I fear them or do I hate them to such a level that I can't love them as a person? Yeah. Can I be loving to the uh, to the pro-choice um, advocate? While still vehemently disagreeing. And I would suggest yes. And I think my opinion is that's what Brooks was really getting at. Well, let me let me read a little bit more from Sitlau here. He says uh, these wolves need contemptuous love. 
And at this point, you're probably wondering what kind of pastor would write that contempt is ever a good idea in the name of love. Let me show you some biblical examples of what I call contemptuous love and what rhetoric, uh, rhetoric calls irony. When Jesus confronts the Pharisees, he calls them a brood of vipers. They are not literally vipers, of course, and the people consider the Pharisees holy. So what's going on? The Pharisees asserted ideas about God and his demands that laid heavy burdens on people and made them feel far from God. Their ideas were dangerous. This wasn't just a disagreement about whether to be a Methodist or a Baptist but a discourse on ideas that are destructive to the good of human flourishing. So Jesus uses ironic, contemptuous language to defend and assert the reality that God's love doesn't come with prerequisites. Similarly, the Apostle Paul uh, had planted a church in the city of Galatia where there was a group that said that to be a real Christian, you had to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. This wasn't an argument about whether a church should use a guitar or an organ. This was about an idea that would undermine the foundation of Christianity and rhetoric that Socrates would love Paul says that those who promote circumcision ought to emasculate themselves. Now, this isn't very nice, and as Brooks might say, not very loving, but this is love on display. Paul doesn't mean it literally, for he actually desires Christians to do the opposite. He's Ooh. trying to awaken this church to be, uh, to the danger in their midst. Despite his use of contemptuous language, he is acting in love. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but like, what might be an example in your mind, if Sitlau is right, of some of this contemptuous love mm. lived out in the public square. What would be an example? I think it would be uh, calling out uh, injustice. It would be calling out where where um, people are being wronged. It would be, uh, I think it is the way that we uh, stand up for the marginalized and stand up for the unborn in the abortion debate and, and, and uh, the way that we speak about it. I just think that we still need to be, I think Christ followers still need to be loving. They still need to show love. Like I yeah, think it'd be, I think we're going too far if we said Jesus didn't love the Pharisees. Like I think Jesus probably deep down had a love, and and we you know wanted to see them repent. And um, yeah, there's a lot of roads to go down here. This is interesting. I would encourage you to read it because um, I think it borders a little bit on just being unloving, even yeah. though that's not what he says. Well, I'll I'll read what he ends with, and I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'll just end this segment with how he closes his particular article. He says, Contemptuous love seeks to shock the hearer back to morality. It seeks to motivate the hearer to act for the good. While it may seem mean, it is far from it. It is motivated by love for neighbor and love for the neighborhood. Brooks is right that we need to love our enemies, but unfortunately, the type of love that he describes is insufficient. So mm. either way, we're, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, this is one that I imagine we'll probably disagree on. Yes. Let's uh, be loving in the comment section, <laughs> but uh, I would love to know what you all think about all of this. Well, coming up next, uh, why don't we land this plane? Do it. You want to land the plane? I, I would like to. A little bit of interweb insanity stories we have boat. not read and sound effects we have not heard. That is how we're going to wrap up today's show here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that 
I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, that wacky wild music can mean only one thing. It probably means multiple things to multiple people, but for us it means the show's about to end and we're going to get a little wild. Wild for pastors that are middle-aged. Not like real, <laughs> not real wild. This is like radio wild. But Craziness. If you're just joining us, uh, we land the plane the same way every single day. It is interweb insanity, stories that we have not seen, sound effects that we have not heard, and uh, today, more than usual, does frighten us a bit more because our producers selected stories that they have now warned us in advance of, which is uh, super tricky. Plus, uh, well, Brian Fromm's family is here in the Sitting studio. Sitting in so, the studio. So we'll see. Here's fingers crossed. My children are in this room. So just picture that as you're hearing these next six minutes unfold. Yes. <laughs> Brian Fromm is saying these with his family, his lovely family, by the way, yeah. here so in the our, studio our with our producer's us. last one. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. We understand. It'd be weird if you did. Because uh, our show is normally blue. <laughs> so Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off. Alabama. Alabama Democrat proposes mandatory vasectomies until marriage. Mm. A Democrat in the state of Alabama has drafted new legislation she hopes will be a counterbalancing measure uh, to the nation's most restrictive abortion law. That's one way to put it. Earlier this week, Alabama's governor signed a law that prohibits abortion at every stage. However, there are no exceptions. Uh, Alabama State Rep Katie Shaw says her proposed amendment would be tacked onto Alabama's law and force every unwed male to get a vasectomy. So remember, sex is bad, immoral, and wrong. And if you have sex, you're automatically in Al-Qaeda. I think oh we're going to get fired. Let alone uh, him. Brian, real quick, just what was it like to say the word vasectomy multiple times while looking into the eyes of your children? Was that, oh, uh, like, it's like Thursday. Just a, stand, just a standard day <laughs> for you. a standard day. Yeah. You're a weird house, man. Uh, right, California. <laughs> Actor's tattoo is misspelled worse. It's his own kid's name. <laughs> and his kid's name is vasectomy. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Getting a tattoo that honors your child is a rather sweet thing to do. Orlando Bloom would like to show you his for his son, Fryn. Fryn? What's supposed to be Flynn? I can't feel bad for mispronouncing this. Or Flynn. Okay, that's right. The latter is the real name of the nine-year-old, the actor's only child with ex-Miranda Kerr, but the former is the misspelled version that ended up on Bloom's forearm, per Fox News. The 43-year-old showed off his new ink Tuesday on Instagram with a clear view of the Morse code lines and dots meant to represent Flynn's name. The image caption, new hashtag tattoo, can you guess who? Eagle-eyed fans fluent in Morse soon pointed out the cringeworthy error on Oh, my gosh. Flynn's name was misspelled, missing a crucial dot and making the L in Flynn's name read as an R. Hey, I don't care how wrong it is. Just admit it. I'm a great speller and it burns you. <laughs> I don't even know what that's from. I have all three of my kids' names tattooed on my back. Oh, so right. They don't know that. But that's but that's in Aramaic, though, yes. right? Because you're, because you're a pastor. It's in the Hebrew. Sure. <laughs> Next one's out of Canada. Uh, the scent, man, I'm getting all the fun ones today, aren't I? 
<laughs> the scent of a romantic partner can improve sleep, new study suggests. Papa, why are you doing these stories? The research- oh, we're going to have to have talks over lunch here. The researchers <laughs> found that study participants uh, who were exposed to their uh, partner's scent overnight experienced better sleep quality, even though their partner was not physically present. Mr. Scent. Mr. Musk. Does the Fromm family have lunch at 6 p.m.? Good meant dinner. Meant dinner. All right, out of Utah, Utah man busted for using mice and hamsters to get free hotel rooms. You might want to write this one down. The Utah man is facing criminal charges after police say he admitted to releasing mice and hamsters at least three times at different Utah hotels. Police say this has likely occurred at many hotels. Police allege that Ryan Centel State, that's a cool name, 37, would release the rodents in his hotel room, then complain about it to get the room for free. Two of the three hotel police investigated compensated State following his complaint. State uh, would point out feces left by rodents, a probable cause, statement says. Hotels are forced to contact pest control when animals and feces are found in rooms. Oh, rats. <laughs> That's pretty on the nose. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Last one is out of Texas. Okay, this one doesn't need to make me nervous around my children. <laughs> uh, disgruntled applicants try to send 2,000 pounds of mayo to the Mayo Clinic. That's pretty funny. It's an unusual story involving a Mayo Clinic mix-up and mayonnaise. It's a miracle, Whip. Two- <laughs> I see what you did there. That joke doesn't even make any I sense. See what you did there. I'm assuming some doctor's name is Whip or something. <laughs> <laughs> Students applying to Rochester's Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine were accidentally sent acceptance letters yesterday. The institution sent 360 letters of acceptance, but then a few hours later inf- oh, informed the hopefuls a technical error was discovered and the oh letters boy. of acceptance were withdrawn. Oh, my God. Those goodness. recipients had been, all been interviewed for the school and were waiting to hear if they were accepted. On an online forum, many posters say their disappointment was heightened after some told family and friends they were accepted and some even said they'd rejected other offers or withdrew from wait lists. Uh, KIMT News 3, Jessica Brin spoke with one of the impacted applicants through online messages. They detailed the apology given to all applicants. There was an email and a scripted phone call informing everyone they're now waitlisted. However, applicants uh, thought the apology was insincere. There is nothing in that story about sending mail. (laughs) What we've got here is failure to communicate. Is that drop in conjunction with the fact that the headline and the actual body <laughs> of the article? <laughs> you could see the sadness wash over Brian's face. I was waiting for that pounds of mayo right, to right. show up. It's like you were waiting for a birthday cake that just never came. Well, oh. sorry to end on a disappointing note, everyone. We mayo. promise tomorrow we'll be much cheerier. We'll be much less disappointment for you. Yeah, we'll have a lot more mayonnaise tomorrow here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.